So today, we're starting a new series, Relationship Rules. We're going to see what the book of James, the book of Jimmy, has to say to us about relationships. How do we relate with one another? And for those of you rolling your eyes thinking, of course, of course we would have a series on relationships in February. Listen, okay, it's not some like Christianized Hallmark movie romance how-to, okay? So we're talking about how we relate to one another. Believe it or not, there are other relationships we have to learn how to navigate that aren't romantic ones. So we're going to see what the book of James has to say about relating to one another in the body of Christ. So today where we're dwelling is verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I want to ask you the question, who is the richest person that you have ever met? How did you react to them? Did you treat them any different than you do anyone else? Let's say that Jeff Bezos lands a Blue Origin space shuttle in the parking lot today and walks in here, how do you think the greeters would react? How do you think the ushers would react? How do you think Pastor Jessica, Pastor Chris, Pastor Christian, me, would react? Would you treat them, him, any different? Now, to be fair, I could see people like Lori Moore or Ron Hirschberger going up to them and just having a normal conversation. But let's say that Jeff decides to stroll down the aisle, and he, while he's walking down there, he drops $500 out of his pocket. And Zoe, trying to be a good Christian woman, picks it up and says, Jeff, you dropped this. He goes, psh, keep it. He heads over down the aisle And he finds a spot he really wants to sit in. He wants to sit in Weston's spot. And he mentions that he has a really big offering that he wants to give today. An offering so big, it could pay off all our debt. An offering so big, it could pay off our debt and remodel our whole building. An offering so big it could pay off our debt, remodel our building, and open a new campus. It's like chump change to him. We just have to kick Weston out of his seat. I mean, come on, man. Don't you realize how much that money could do for us? What should we do? (laughs) Right? (laughs) The temptation is there, right? Should we treat rich people any differently when they try to manipulate people with their money? Should we show favoritism to certain people based on their characteristics? That is what we're talking about today. The book of James draws attention to the fact that there are Christians who are showing favoritism to rich people in their congregation. And this is so heinous, James basically says, you can't even be a Christian if you're doing this. How can you call yourself a follower of Christ if you're showing favoritism to people? 
But I mean, what's the big deal, Jimmy? Is it really all that bad? I mean, think about how much that money could do for them. How much that money could do for the kingdom. Doesn't he realize that? All we have to do is just treat them a little better. I mean, they pay their way. Nobody else does. I mean, people with less money don't pay as much, and people with no money don't pay their way at all. Rich people get to ride first class. In this situation, ride the camel rather than walk. Why? What's the big deal? If we get the money that we need to further the kingdom, what's the issue? And then James goes on. He starts to talk about how the poor are chosen to be rich in faith. So, wait a second. Let me see if I'm following here. First, you told me not to show favoritism to the rich, and now you're making it sound like we're showing favoritism to the poor. God chose the poor to be rich in faith? What's up with that? Are you saying the rich person can't be saved? And then James starts to give us something to wrestle with. He talks about how it is the rich who drag us into court. It's the rich who oppress us. It's the rich who blaspheme the name of Jesus. And you know, he's got a point, even today, to a certain extent, right? Because there are rich people who will drag us into court just because they have the money and can do it. They might, might not have the just side of the situation, but they can win because they have more money. They have more power. They have more influence. There are rich people who throw money at government officials to persuade them to make policies that favor them. And it is true that it is more tempting for the rich person to not rely on Jesus Christ and to blaspheme his name because they believe they have all they need. But think about the money, James. Think about how much it could do for us. Is it really all that bad? Why can't we show favoritism? Why can't we show partiality in the body of Christ? There are three reasons that we can't show partiality in the body of Christ. Reason number one is God's image in humans. God's image in humans. God said in the opening chapters of Genesis, let us make man in our image. Each and every human being is endowed with this worth of being made in the image and likeness of God. It is a peace that no other species in creation got. We are set apart in that manner. And it's not as if one person has more and one person has less of it. We all have it. It's valuable in itself. Which takes us to point two. Reflecting the equality in the Trinity. We just sung about the Trinity and if you leave today saying, man, I still don't get that whole Trinity thing, that's okay. I don't get it. 
I still don't get it. I can write a good paper about it and get a good grade, but at the end of the day, I still scratch, scratch my head about it, so don't feel bad about it. But we live with this mystery in the Christian faith with how we have one God who happens to be three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, not three gods, one God, three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Spirit isn't the Son, the Son isn't the Father, and the Father isn't the Spirit. Three persons, one God. It says, let us make man in our image. God has eternally been in community. And being made in his image, we have a need for community. We have a need for people like us. That's why when God made Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. He had put in Adam an innate need for other humans. And so each of us, in addition to having the worth of the image of God, we are created to live in equality with those who are like us, other humans. And finally, number three, God doesn't play favorites with us. God doesn't play favorites with us. But Jared, you were just talking about how he chose the poor. Isn't that playing favorites? God doesn't judge by external standards. The word for favoritism in the Greek points out how people judge by worldly ways, by external looks. If you want an example, think back to when Samuel is looking for the next king after Saul had failed, and he comes upon David after he's seen all of the sons of Jesse. He asks, do you have any more? And he says, they're still the youngest. And they pick David, the one that nobody thought that God would pick. And God said, I look at the heart, not at external circumstances. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't judge by worldly standards. So number one, we're made in God's image. Number two, we're made in the image of the one who has equality in itself. We reflect the equality in the Trinity. And number three, God doesn't play favorites with us. All right, so it's time to fess up. Who's been favoring the rich people? Who's been giving them the good seats? Nobody. All right, maybe this isn't such a big issue for us, you know? But, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of an issue, like sometimes we try to be careful about how we talk to a certain person because of how much money they have. We might be scared of what they could do. They could withdraw that money. Or maybe the person who is rich tries to manipulate leadership at times just because they say, well, I give more, so you should listen to me. But that seems like something that we could just have a private meeting about. Like, why, why do we have a whole sermon about this, right? So honestly, let's just pack up and go home today. Short sermon. 
go have an early lunch. Because now we have more time to think about things like this. We, we, we get it. I won't, we won't give the Monopoly man the front seat. We won't give Richie Rich the first donut. We won't shine Bruce Wayne's rims when he drives into the parking lot on Sunday morning. And we'll, we'll make sure people don't make fun of the Weasley's hand-me-down clothing. And we'll make sure people don't move away from Tiny Tim when he sits down. And now we have more time to deal with the real issue, people. Because you know Frank, well, he keeps asking to preach, but he's a Baptist. <laughs> this is a Wesleyan-only pulpit. And Tina wants to be on the security team, but you know it's not really a girl thing. I'd much rather have Timothy in that position. And Leo, he really wants to teach Sunday morning kids' church once a month, but he just turned 37. And you know what they say, once you turn 37, you don't know nothing about heaven. We need someone younger in that position. And Connie, she's been trying to take over the bingo ministry, but she's only been here for a few years. Beatrice really wants to take it over. She's been here forever, but she's less qualified. But regardless, I'm going to give it to her because she has seniority. And Bart, he said he wants to take over the youth ministry, but his, faith, his face is pretty homely. And he wears George brand clothing and chartreuse Crocs. Youth pastors are supposed to be cool. So I'm going to give it to Bart. He doesn't know anything about the Bible, but he fits the bill in my head. Is playing favorites just about money? Because the first verse of this chapter says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Christ if you favor some people over others? And then it says, for example. The rich is one example of showing favoritism, which would mean there are other ways that we could favor some people and be outside of what God would want us to do. There are other examples of favoritism in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians butting heads. And God says, ethnicity and heritage doesn't determine the worth of somebody. Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So it's not just about heritage or ethnicity, but it also includes position and gender. And to top it off, Paul says to first in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Age can be a factor for favor. We can play favorites. We can show partiality. 
we can discriminate with many other things besides money. Gender, we can assume a certain gender is unfit for a certain position. Political stance, we dislike the person in the other party. Personal preferences, we like people who like what we like. We don't like people who don't like what we like. Age, we have a particular assumption about certain generations. Health, we judge how people take care of themselves. Look, so-and-so is better looking, so I'm going to listen to them. Oh, they're just hard to look at. Smell, I just can't stand to be around them. Their breath is horrendous, or they smell so good. Skin color, people with blank skin are. Family, their family is a bunch of criminals, so... They're related to my best friend, so their family is full of pastors, so they don't have a bachelor's degree. They do have a bachelor's degree. Personality. I just can't take his lack of organization, or they're just too happy. They're past sins. They committed adultery. They committed murder. They were an addict, or they didn't commit sins that were that bad. Fashion sense. He's just too eclectic. She likes Hobby Lobby too much for her decor in her house. Personal history. We had a run-in back in 82. Or we were in the Space Force together. Position. She's a lawyer. He's a senator. She works at McDonald's. He's a janitor. You have thoughts about each of these and more, but none of them determine the worth of somebody. The image of God does. And we're all equally valuable. And don't think I'm standing up here as an innocent bystander because I have played the popular game of favorites. I've leaned in toward people that I like more. Not necessarily because they're more qualified for something. I just like to have them around. I've let my personal feelings come into play when it's like, okay, how much care am I going to give to this person? It's not fun to say, but I've played the game. I've looked at people who I've thought, were stupid. I, I thought they were less than me. In school, I did that. I've judged people by worldly standards and not by heavenly ones. And there might be some of you in the room that are wondering, well, what if, is there a situation where we can judge by these standards and it's not favoritism? Like, say that I want an addict to minister to other addicts, and I choose him over someone who hasn't been an addict. Is that favoritism? No, that's wisdom. So what's the difference going on here? Am I giving a person a disadvantage or an advantage because of how I feel about them? Am I doing this because of how I feel on a worldly level? Or is it actually ideal in God's eyes? Am I doing it because of how I feel? Or am I doing it because it's 
ideal? These are the questions we need to ask. What is ideal? What is best for the kingdom? What are the facts? What is based on selfless love? What gets my ego and my preferences out of the way? I can't judge people on how I feel, but what's uh, what is actually ideal? I can't judge people by worldly standards. I need to judge people on heavenly ones. Let's throw out another example. Say someone walks up to me on a Sunday morning and requests it on Easter, I save an end seat for them. Okay? It's a busy Sunday. People got to get here early if they want to make sure they get their normal seat. But in what situation is it favoritism if I give them the seat? In what situation is it not favoritism if I give them the seat? Well, it is favoritism if it's because, well, we're bros. You know, I just like him a lot. We're really good friends, and I'm going to make sure I save that seat for him, even though it's going to be a really busy Sunday. It wouldn't be favoritism, though, if he said, the reason I need you to save it for me is because I have to dip out early. I have to go to work, and I don't want to be a disruption. Simple example, but it's ideal and not based on how I feel. Another example Let's say we have two different parties that have requested to reserve the Family Life Center for a get-together. I could either pick Doran, who always plows my driveway for free and just wants to have a family get-together, or I could pick the outreach ministry event that's headed up by Bertha, who gets on my nerves, has never done anything for me, but has led many people to Christ through her endeavors. And it's for her to continue those endeavors. It's favoritism if I pick Doran. It's ideal if I pick Bertha. Now, I know it's a lot more complex than that, but we can treat people based on how we feel or based on what's ideal. We can treat people on how we feel. That's favoritism. Or we can treat people based on what's ideal. That's equity. That's how God imagined it. We can treat people based on how we feel or we can treat people based on what's Ideal. The truth is that the gospel is made available to everyone. Christ died equally for everyone. He didn't die more for one person and less for another because they were more or less than human. And when we treat people with favoritism in this way, we're essentially saying that this person is more human or this person is less human than the rest of us. And you might say to yourself, well, this isn't that bad of a sin, is it? I mean, at least I don't commit murder. At least I don't steal. At least I don't. But James makes it clear. You can't try to justify the sins that you do by saying what you don't do. The fact of the matter is you are sinning by committing favoritism. You can't. Play favorites. You can't judge by worldly standards. And he says at the end, if you want to play the game of favorites, you just might find that God plays the game of favorites with you. He doesn't want to do that. 
What's interesting to me about that comment is that we often think, oh, it only comes into play with how I treat people in regard to forgiveness. We think about the Sermon on the Mount, right? I have to forgive others if I want to be forgiven. But here James makes it clear that our interactions with people beyond just forgiveness determines how God will treat us. If we show favoritism, if we play favorites in the kingdom of God, he will play favorites with us. But if we see everyone as equal, if we don't bend the rules for some people and heighten the rules for others, then we'll be treated as equals. And you might think to yourself, man, this is how, I mean, it's so innate. How do I get it out? Like, I just naturally go for the people that I like. This is how we operate, right? Peter had a similar issue once. He didn't think that the Gentiles were supposed to come into the faith. So God kind of gave him an odd vision when he read about it. Sends him all these unclean foods in this vision and says, take and eat. Peter says, no. God says, well, I've made all things clean. So take and eat. This was his way of showing him that all people were equal. Up until then, Peter was blind. Where are you blind to people's worth? Where do you need to ask God to pour out his grace for you to be able to see the image of God in somebody you think is less than human? You can ask for his grace, but you need four ways I want to give you today on how to stop playing the game of favorites. First, you got to confess your favorites and your least favorites. You got to lay it down on the table. You got to, as simple as just draw a line down a piece of paper, label one column favorites, one column least favorites. Start to write down the people that you're soft to, the people that you're hard on, the people that you bend the rules for, the people that you raise the rules for, the people that you want to run away from, the people that you run toward. Put people's names on there, not so you can show it to the world, but so you can start to see what your bias is, and then start to put characteristics down. Well, I automatically lean in when people like Pokemon. It could be more than that. I'm sure it's more than that. You have to confess your favorites and your least favorites, and you're not, you're not going to come up with all of them, but you have to start somewhere. Put a lay down on the table. Who are you soft toward? Who are you hard on? But then you can't just make a list. You've got to move to lift your least favorite people up. You've thought of your least favorite people as less than human. You've got to raise them up to human level in your head. You've got to actually go and have a conversation with the person that you naturally don't like. You've got to stop heightening the rules for the person that you don't like. You've got to start being fair and seeing the image of God in the person you don't like. Compliment them. Go toward them. See God's goodness in them. Find it. Now, a great way to participate in this is we have something coming up called the Dearborn Mission Trip with partnering with the Dearborn Project up in Dearborn, Michigan. 
And, I mean, if we're honest, ever since 9-11, it's really tempting to have just a negative view of Muslims and Arabs. This is an opportunity to engage with this group of people and to see God's work in them, to see the value in them as humans. Pastor Jessica will give us more information on how to get involved with that. But you've got to lift your least favorite people up, expose yourself to them, learn more about them. But you can't stop there. You've got to knock your favorite people down a notch. They were more than human to you. You've got to make them human. There are people that we look up to, but you can't idolize them. I want you to sit and think about what faults they have. Not so you can go and tell them, but so that you can stop thinking about them as so awesome. They're not God. They're great. You're thankful for what, how they are. But quit bending the rules for them. Quit being so soft toward them. Treat them like everyone else should be treated. Lift your least favorite people up. Knock your favorite people down. And then last but not least is my favorite one. Get a poor attitude. Get a poor attitude. You'll, you'll get it in a second. Now there's this dynamic in scripture that's interesting. Because there's lots of discussion about the rich and the poor and it, at face value it does discuss just a lot of the, the literalness of that. Like people who are rich, actually. People who are poor, actually. And there is a lot of disparity between the two because the poor are without food. They are naked. They are hurting. And Christ's heart does hurt for them. And the rich will take advantage of them because they are greedy for money. It's just a reality of the world that we live in. It's not every single situation, but it's a commonality. But then there's this figurative meaning buried beneath of rich and poor. To be rich is to think that I have all I need. To be poor is to say, I am nothing without God. To be rich is to say, I judge through the world's eyes. To be poor is to judge through God's eyes. A rich attitude judges based on things that are of temporal importance. A poor attitude judges based on things that are of eternal Importance. A rich attitude wants more of the world. A poor attitude wants more of God. A rich attitude says, I have all I need. A poor attitude says, God is all I need. A rich attitude appraises worth on worldly things. A poor attitude appraises worth on godly things. You've got to get a poor attitude. Because when you realize that you're nothing without God, then it levels the playing field when you look at other people because you realize they're nothing without God. The only thing of value in life that you could ever have is a relationship with him. It humbles you. You can see people you thought were less than human as human and more than human as human. You've got to develop a poor attitude. Humble yourself. Realize that you are nothing without God 
And if you feel like you're not there yet, ask him to get you there. I'm sure he will. So the wrong way to apply this message would be go home and write a a Valentine's card for your, your, your partner. It says, uh, God spoke, I can't say that you're my favorite anymore, but I still love you. That's incorrect, okay? <laughs> you can still, your spouse can still be your favorite romantic interest, and your only romantic interest. But here's the good news. You can't play favorites with God's people, but you can still have a favorite candy bar. You can still have a favorite vacation spot. You can still have a favorite restaurant, a favorite sports team, and least favorite sports team, but you can't play favorites with the image of God. You can't play favorites with the image of God. Each of us is equally worth, has equal worth. We're all made in the holy image of God. We're equally valuable, equally precious, equally loved, equally prized. Do you want to improve your relationships in the kingdom of God? Don't play favorites. Confess your favorites and your least favorites. Knock your favorites down a notch. Lift your least favorites up and get a poor attitude. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we play favorites. It's a popular game among us. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to know what it is that you have called us to in regards to our relationships with one another. Reveal to us those that we treat better for worldly reasons and those we treat worse for worldly reasons. Give us your eyes to see the worth in everyone so that we can treat everyone with the equality that they deserve, that you have placed in every human being. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.